It's so good to be with you this Christmas Eve. It's great to have the whole body together, the children all the way up through the ages, and I'm up there in the ages now, and I'm so glad and blessed, and if you'll indulge me for a moment, I'm thankful for the opportunity to speak. Brother Nick was really anointing people with oil. (laughs) Hallelujah. If it slides out of my hands. Hallelujah. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here this morning, and we need to remember pastors as they travel, take a little break. We are thankful for their leadership and uh, all that they do for us. They do much more than we see. Amen. And I am thankful for the opportunity to speak even in their absence. So I was riveting my family on the way here with some historical facts. So if you'll indulge me for a moment, I want to share with you some history of a few Christmas carols that I discovered the past few days. And hallelujah, it's a history lesson. You'll just have to bear with me. I have the mic, so unless you want to get up and leave... You get to hear the history. The first Christmas carol was written in 129 A.D. That's only 30 years after the Apostle John died. Very early. It was called the Angel's Hymn, and the lyrics are really a Bible verse. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests, from Luke chapter 2. And... We have no idea how the melody goes. It's not sung today that I'm aware of, but it was written and it was charged to the church to sing for Christmas. Other Christmas songs were written throughout the ages, some as old as the 300s and the 400s, but some that we know and still sing today, the words to O Come All Ye Faithful, written possibly in the 1200s and we still sing it today. Good Christian Men Rejoice, written in 1328. We still sing it today. God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, written in the 1650s. We still sing it today. Any conversation of Christmas carols, and this is for Sister Carolyn. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. (laughs) She's getting the Holy Ghost over there. She jokes whenever we sing Christmas carols that she wants to sing chestnuts roasting on an open fire. (laughs) So I had to get it in there. It was written, believe it or not, in the middle of July, and it was hot, and the writer said it was just me trying to get a cold memory to get some reprieve from this hot weather in July, and that's how chestnuts roasting on an open fire was born. My children appreciate... I don't know if you call this a Christmas carol. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. (laughs) Sang by 10-year-old Gayla Peavy, and the Oklahoma City Zoo actually presented her with a newborn hippo named Matilda. And before anything goes myth or legend, uh, it was prepped that way. They planned it, and she was to donate it right back to the zoo. (laughs) Silent Night. Some of these carols have intriguing and very uh, interesting histories. Silent Night, 
is the most recorded Christmas carol, having been recorded by different artists 137,000 times. It was written in 1818 by Franz Gruber and Joseph Moore, and their organ in the church was broken due to a flood, or some people say maybe church, church mice got in there and ruined it. And so they played it on Christmas Eve with a guitar and in German. And so it was then in World War I, some of you might be familiar with the Christmas Day truce that happened early on in the fighting in World War I. The Germans shouted from one side of the trench, you no shoot, we no shoot. And these brave men went into no man's land, put their guns down, and actually played soccer. And they uh, talked with each other and sang one of the Christmas carols was Silent Night, the one they could all sing. There was an English version and a German version, and so everybody could sing Silent Night together. That's a cool story. And I'm sorry if you are... I might blow some minds right now, and if this hurts you or offends you, and if you don't want to know it, plug your ears. But Joy to the World was written over 300 years ago, 1719, and it was written not at all as a Christmas carol. It was written to worship the second coming of Jesus. Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Verse 3 says, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. I can't sing it now without thinking about the second coming. Through the years, it was turned into a Christmas carol, and the thinking was he can't come again if he didn't come in the first place, and so we can sing it safely for Christmas. Today's Christmas Eve and full of traditions, Christmas carols probably being right at the top, maybe next to a Christmas tree. And this morning, I felt just a strong urge to talk about this actual gift that we have on Christmas Day. We have a precious gift from God, and I want to do it in the five W's, who, what, when, where, and why. And I'm just going to go in that order, no particular order, just the order in which I learned it in school who, what, when, where, and why. And we'll start with the who. It might be the most powerful point because the who is the whole reason for the season. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, Brother Nick read this morning, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And that scripture was referencing an Old Testament scripture in Isaiah, which says pretty much the same thing, Emmanuel, God with us. Who came to earth that day? God himself. God walked on earth with us in the man Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is who came to earth that day. John chapter 14 says, Jesus saith unto him, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. And I love this because Philip is looking at Jesus saying, where's this Father you're talking about? And Philip says unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus was God, wrapped in flesh, came to earth, this mighty God. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This gift that came to earth was God himself, wrapped in flesh. Not he is called the Son of God over and over in Scripture, but don't forget it's not the second in a trinity, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. Colossians 2.9 says, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This God came to earth in extremely humble beginnings. This is God who sits on the throne. He came to earth and the way he came reveals to us a little of his meek nature because I don't think I tried to look it up, couldn't find really much information on um, people being laid in mangers when they were born as infants. I don't think it was a common practice because that was left for the feeding troughs for the animals. And so I can't imagine even the poorest of poor thinking, let me just stick my child in this feeding trough. Keep the cows away. Don't let the sheep come by. My baby's in there. And yet, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who could have been born so fancy with pomp and circumstance, who could have been born in a wealthy place, in a, in a palace somewhere, with all kinds of fanfare, and yet this God wrapped himself in flesh and didn't just come like a normal, even a common baby would have been born. Instead, he went even lower than that. Lived in, was born in a, in a grotto. It's like a cave. And he came and was put in a manger, which is the Latin word to eat. And that is a place where the animals would have come to eat. Jesus would have laid in that manger and I think the symbolism is so clear. The animals come to feed in the manger. The bread of life was placed in a manger for us to come. John 6, 35 says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. This God, our God, his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. That's who we're talking about. At the center of the Christmas story, the real reason for the season, Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was born. Hallelujah. Can we just clap our hands to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for coming. That was the who. 
The what is this precious gift? Not just a baby born in a manger, I don't believe. The gift was not even the whole miraculous story of his nativity with the shepherds and the wise men and the star and the virgin birth and so on. All of that was a great story, but really, it's more like the Amazon delivery truck. That wasn't the gift. It was miraculous and great. But there's more to this gift. John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life." The gift that God gave to man that day was the gift of eternal life. This is a huge gift. Do you remember as a child? I, I don't know. I might still feel this way a little bit. You look under the Christmas tree, and it didn't matter how much money the gifts cost. It didn't matter how much thought went into the gift. As a kid, what was the first thing you looked for? The biggest gift under the tree. It didn't matter if that thing was a $5 tchotchke from some store, you know? It was big, and it was wrapped up, and that's what you couldn't wait to open. My daughter now is older, and I hope she's a little out of the big gift thing because her gifts were expensive and just not that big. We were wrapping them, and we thought, boy, that's, that looks like a whole lot of nothing. But it was not a whole lot of nothing. This is what that gift is to us. This is a big gift. This is eternal life. This present is the biggest one under the tree. Hallelujah. And in order to get that precious gift of eternal life, you need the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen? To get into heaven, that's the way, the truth, and the life. We need the Holy Ghost. And in order to get the Holy Ghost, Jesus had to resurrect from the dead, ascend up into glory. In order to resurrect from the dead, he had to die. In order to die, he had to fulfill scripture. He had to teach and preach the kingdom of God. He had to be Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? To do that, he had to be born. Here we are, celebrating that birth. But lest we forget, it's the gift of eternal life that this day is all about. Amen? Isaiah 28 says, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people, to whom he said, this is the rest, wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. I don't know if there is another season that makes me feel like I need rest more than Christmas. Amen. The actual gift, I believe, was not the Christmas Day gift. I believe it was the day of Pentecost gift. The gift of the Holy Ghost. 
John chapter 7, verse 38 says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The ultimate gift of Christmas is the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You need it. You need it. You need to be full of it, overflowing with it, and it's the wonderful power and presence of God. This is the Christmas gift, and it's a free gift. And when I say free, I think I mean unmerited. Because part of this wonderful gift is that you and I don't have to do anything to deserve it. In fact, I don't think we could pay enough money for it. We couldn't live a good enough life to say we warrant it. There's none of us that would fast enough or could pray enough who could live holy enough to measure up to the value of the Holy Ghost. And aren't you glad we don't have to? We don't have to. He did it for us. It was not a free gift. It's unmerited for us. But there was a price paid. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Oh, how thankful I am for this gift, this precious gift of Christmas, this gift of the Holy Ghost. I didn't have to pay for it. He took the price, he paid it for me, and he filled me with the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is what Christmas is all about, the greatest gift to man. Amen. That was the who, that was the what. I like this one the when. We could talk a lot about the when. In fact, some of you Bible scholars out there might want to come and correct me later anything I say now because you've probably studied this and thought about this and went through it. But there are several things about the when, and I'm not going to get into a scholarly talk right now. That's, it's Christmas. Nobody wants that. We could talk about the time of year Jesus was actually born, whether it was December 25th or rather some other time during the year. A lot of people think it was in the spring because the shepherds would have been out in the fields in the spring, not in the winter. Some say it wasn't in the spring at all. It was probably mid-September, and I love this one. This one is really cool to me because it lines up with John the Baptist's birth. In Luke chapter 1, we know that John the Baptist's father was Zacharias, a priest, and he was after the order of Abijah. And in those days, the priests were divided into 24 courses. And you can go through and read when different ones were at the temple doing the sacrifices. The priests weren't there year-round. They just served their, their little portion of time throughout the year. And then a new crew came in, and it was that way all year-round. And so when his turn was there, it would have been in mid-May to mid-June when Zacharias was serving in the temple. And since his wife Elizabeth would have got pregnant following this term, then Jesus, Mary came along about six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy. Mary came along and Gabriel visited Mary and said that she would bear the Messiah. This would have been about December. 
Count forward nine months, and you get about September. So if we base it on what we know about John the Baptist's timeline, maybe his birthday is really sometime in September. Does it matter? I don't think it matters one bit. It's not the birth that is the important thing anyways. We've already said it's the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen? But what about the year? I've heard many people ask, why did Jesus come when he did, 2,000 years ago, when there was no social media, there was no news, there was no video cameras, there was no reporting around the world like there is today? Why didn't he come today when the world could see his miracles, the world could hear his message, and not just a few that were around him listening to his message, but the world could see it. Why didn't he come now? Why did he come 2,000 years ago? And I believe God's timing is prophetic. And all the word really says about it is in Galatians chapter 4. And it says this, But when the fullness of the time was come, on God's calendar, it was full. When the fullness of the time was come, that's when he did it. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The time was right. And I don't believe for one moment that it would matter if he came today, if any more people would believe in him today than if he had come when he did. Because Matthew chapter 16 says this, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. And verse 4 says, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. They could, they could determine what the weather was. Sounds like today. They're getting a lot better. When I was younger, you know, you used to joke about the weather report. But it is getting a little bit better. You can almost, you can use radar and see when the rain's going to come. It's, it's getting a lot better than it used to be. And how can we declare the weather and not discern the times? Amen. In Luke chapter 16, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man dies and Lazarus dies. Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom and, and Lazarus goes to hell and sees Abraham and says, oh, just for a drop of water on my tongue. And he said, I can't come. And then Jesus gives this parable and says in verse 29, Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses. Oh, he asked, can I come back from the dead? Let me come back from the dead and warn my brothers. They'll listen to a dead guy. And Abraham said unto them, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The world, the world has the Bible, the Word of God. They have the church. 
they can see the miracles, signs, and wonderfuls, wonders of the gift of the Holy Ghost right now today, and these still don't convince them. I don't think if Jesus performing miracles on TikTok would do anything better, or if he turned the Sermon on the Mount into the Sermon on Facebook Live, I don't think that would do the trick either. They're going to believe because they have the Word of God, or they're not going to believe. Amen? That's the win. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to do what he did, but he's very much alive. He didn't die and stay dead. He rose again on the third day, ascended up into heaven, and he is still alive, reigning in heaven right now. Amen? That's the who, the what, the when. Let's get to the where. When I first started researching this, I thought, Bethlehem, that's it, move on. But there is more to the story. As I started to dig deep, I got to see a little bit more. When we visited the Holy Land, was it just last year? So much has happened since. We were in the Holy Land, and we got the opportunity to go to Bethlehem and to see this grotto where Jesus quite possibly was actually born. We, they don't know for sure. There's nothing there that says Jesus laid here. Jesus was here. But it fits the description in the Bible, and it's a very cool place. We went in this little cave. Uh, it's been turned into a chapel since those days, and there are seats there and, and an altar. And um, I was just sitting there imagining as you looked out from this grotto over the hills of, of Bethlehem and the, and the countryside there, and I could just imagine the angels appearing in the sky and, and talking to the shepherds. And the description is very, very, very cool that this might have been the place where Jesus was born. And in Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read a few verses here because the story is so Amazing. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this is what they told him to do. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. I know that that is scripture, and I've read it a hundred times, but I don't know that my manger scene has a shepherd in it. I have the wise men and Mary and Joseph and the baby. Maybe yours has a shepherd. I don't, I don't remember a shepherd. But I think of this and realize that the shepherds actually left their fields and went to see what the angels were talking about. Verse 16, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And, they all, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. 
But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. In verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. <laughs> to be a shepherd in the field that night, to have seen the angels come and make such a proclamation, and to go and see the baby Jesus born wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This reminds me of another Christmas carol. And here comes some history. O little town of Bethlehem. This story is so neat. The author, Philip Brooks, was actually called upon to write the eulogy for President Lincoln, his funeral. He wrote the funeral address. And of course, he assumed that that would be the pinnacle of his work, that he would be known and remembered for writing the eulogy for President Lincoln's funeral. He didn't know that the Lord had other plans for him. He was a preacher, and shortly after the funeral for President Lincoln, he traveled to the Holy Land and sitting opposite a hill looking toward the then still little town of Bethlehem, he wrote those words, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And he came back and continued preaching. Of course, that song became very famous, and we still sing it to today. And he actually got to speak to and witness to a very famous woman in history, Helen Keller, who was both deaf and blind. And he was the one who told her for the first time of the gospel. She had never heard it. And he told her of the gospel and witnessed to her. And her eyes were open, she said spiritually. I've always known there was a God, but until now, I've never known his name, she said. And it is an interesting note because the third verse of that song, which was already written, says, How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given, so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven, no ear may hear his coming. But in, the, in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Isn't that amazing? The story of the little town of Bethlehem, this is the where Jesus was born. So I don't know about you, and this might just be me. If it is just me, you can just spend the next few minutes praying for me to get out of it. But I found this year a little less focus on Jesus than I would like to see in the Christmas season. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I've seen Santa Clauses all over the place. I walked through the mall a few weeks ago, and <laughs> poor Santa was sitting there in one of the hallways, his elves just sitting around him, the cameraman back behind the camera, and not a soul was there to see Santa. No line, no child on his lap, nothing. And poor Santa just looked bored out of his mind. <laughs> it did make me chuckle. And the children, I've taken them on drives to see the Christmas lights. Of course, that's a holiday tradition that we have. And they were amazing Christmas lights. Uh, I struggled myself to put Christmas lights on the house this year. And um, it's just never right. So I put them here. I put them there. Um, looked okay. I wanted more. 
So I put more up. Then I found more Christmas lights in the shed that I didn't know we had, so I put more up. I lined the driveway. I don't know why. Just, I had them, wanted to do it. And then we have this other bush out in the corner of our yard, and I thought, well, it needs some lights. So yesterday, today is Christmas Eve. My wife was rolling her eyes when I told her. I went to the store. Of course, nobody has Christmas lights now. They're all gone. The whole, every place was just picked over. And I found some at one little store. I found some for way too much money. But I was determined to have lights on that bush in the corner of the yard. <laughs> then I got home and the, the extension cord wasn't long enough to reach there. So I had to do this and that to get an extension cord to reach. Anyways, that bush is lit now. <laughs> and for the next couple days, people will see it on my dead-end street. And we live on the end of the dead-end road. But I have neighbors with children, so they'll get to see it. And bless the Catholics, I, I learned something new. That you can keep your Christmas lights on until January 6th. It's okay. That's the 12 days of Christmas, from Christmas until the day or the Feast of Epiphany when the wise men come and present their gifts. So you can keep your Christmas lights on until January 6th and not have to listen to people like my wife who say, Christmas is over. <laughs> I'm not Catholic, but those lights are staying on <laughs> until January 6th. Hallelujah. More traditions, the elves on the shelf. Yes, I said elves. Bless your heart if you just have one elf to deal with. We have two children and for some reason thought each of them needed an elf. And then they got married and had a baby. And the little family wasn't enough, we had to get a dog. So now we have two elves, a baby elf and the dog who I found out today, his name was Buddy. And if you have to deal with one, I see my little daughter smiling in the back. She informed me of his name this morning. I didn't know what it was called, I wrote Rough Rough. <laughs> if you have an elf on the shelf, bless your heart, imagine four that you have to deal with and come up with crazy ideas for. Hallelujah. I mean, they do it on their own. She's in the room. We had, I mean, that doesn't add stress to the Christmas season at all. We have the Christmas program for the children, and it was great. Amen? We had, we had the, uh, that was away in a mango. I loved the idea. We had the adult program, neither of which just happened. There was a lot of practice and a lot of work that went into all of those things, and we set up the tree, finally. Uh, my wife was also, I'm just telling, I'm being a little bit transparent, I guess. We set up, dragged in all the boxes from the shed for Christmas, and through the years, we just get more and more boxes and more and more stuff to put up. And then, of course, all this going on with her dad and everything, and so those boxes stayed in the kitchen for a long time, and it wasn't until there was enough... <laughs> anger expressed 
at the fact that there are boxes in the kitchen that it was finally like, let's get these Christmas trees up. Let's put some things up so that we can get these boxes out of the kitchen for my blessed wife. Amen. Finally got it up. I'm sure she appreciates the outside of the house when it was the inside that she couldn't handle. All of this, all of this to make this perfect season, to make Christmas special, to make it whatever that idealization that we have of Christmas and what it should be. And I know all of us have sort of that pressure behind us to make it something. You know what I'm trying to say? Just that special time of year, that special something, and the pressure adds up. We want to get the right menu, the right recipes. We want to make sure that Aunt so-and-so always makes her famous whatever, and we want that. I saw a video one time where they were complaining, Christmas is not the time to change your mac and cheese recipe. You've got 364 days you can change the mac and cheese recipe. Don't do it on Christmas. You know, those kinds of things. All the pressure that goes into, are you buying the right gifts for the right people? Did you forget anybody? Do you want to get a thoughtful gift for someone? How do you act when you get a gift? What's what, All the pressure of the season, it builds up. And to be honest, some people are out there, I know we have people in our families and, and who would normally through the years be at our Christmas dinners and our Christmas celebrations, and for whatever reason this year they're not there. And this adds its own bit of flavor to the season. And yet all of this leads into the next part. We've got the who, what, when, where. Now the why. All of the pressure of Christmas season, and I love Christmas, I do. I was trying to play Christmas carols even before Thanksgiving in my classroom, and the, uh, some kids were with me, but other kids were very vocal. You cannot do that. So I let them win, and I didn't play those Christmas carols, but boy, the day after Thanksgiving, we were back in school. I love Christmas. But I know that it's a time where there's a lot of added pressure and a lot of added stuff that goes on. And things may not be what we've got planned in our head, and it may not work out just the right way. And that's okay. You know why? Because we've got this precious gift. And if we focus on what Christmas is really about, all the rest doesn't matter anyways. Jesus is the reason for the season. He's there. You've got the Holy Ghost. You can have all the things that you need in him. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 says, A new heart also will I give you. I need it, Lord, at this time of year. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. Verse 27, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. You have the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you don't have it, it's a free gift for you to have today. Galatians chapter 5 because of the Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit. So when you're stressed out about not leaving the oven on long enough or putting this and that away or not getting this and that wrapped, it's all right. You should still have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which is patience. Boy, somebody's going to be at your dinner that you just wish wasn't there. Patience. <laughs> 
gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Does that mean diet too, Lord? That's it's Christmas. Self-control. Against such there is no law. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with what? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. So what? You forgot so-and-so. Buy a gift card and move on. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes understanding. You should be stressed out. You should be overcome. There's a lot going on these next few days. But the peace that passes understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen? Would you stand? This is the gift of Christmas. There's a rather famous story that was told on the radio years ago. A man and a woman, very young couple, very poor. They each have one thing that they hold very precious. It means the world to them. The man had a gold watch piece that was his father's and his father's before him. And the woman had her beautifully long hair that was almost to the ground. And she couldn't imagine going a Christmas without getting her husband a Christmas gift. And she only had a dollar and 87 cents to her name. But she went shopping anyways, and she found the perfect gift for him. It was a chain to go on his watch. And when she didn't have enough money to purchase it, she found someone that would buy her hair from her and give her money. So she cut her hair, took the money, and went and bought this gift for her husband. When she got home, she presented him with the gift and saw the look on his face. He too had gone shopping for her with not enough money, and he knew her hair was her most precious thing, so he bought her a perfect comb, but to buy it, he had to sell his watch. So he sold his watch. He didn't need the gift that she had for him, and she no longer needed the gift he had for her. This is really a relationship between Jesus and us. He went to the cross of Calvary. The price for the gift that he gives to us was his life, and it's a precious gift, and in turn, we get life eternal, but to get that everlasting life, we have to give up our own life and decide to die, mortify the deeds of the flesh to be wrapped in him. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your precious gift that you've come to earth, filled us with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I thank you for this calling. Lord, I thank you for this time of year. Pray that you would help each one of us to be full and overflowing with the Holy Ghost. Would you come and let's respond to the Lord this morning. Amen.